2: Welcome to Right on Hollywood with Christian Toto, part of the Just the News Podcast Network. Sick of media bias infecting film reviews? Furious that too many stars insult your views? Right on Hollywood has your back. Christian is an award-winning journalist, movie critic, and founder of Hollywoodintoto.com, the right take on entertainment. Now here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to Right on Hollywood, a proud member of the Just the News Podcast Network. This week's show is brought to you by CNN+. Plus. The future's so bright, we got to wear shades. You know, back in the day, I used to cover the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor. The event was a hoot. Just imagine some of the biggest comedians on the planet gathering to honor one of their own. Super cool. Fun for me as a reporter. Again, I'm doing a job, but at the end of the day, it is also kind of exciting, too, to meet some legends. And I remember how cordial the comedians were, except for Joy Behar, who was rather unpleasant during the pre-press uh, publicity tour. But, you know, again, honoring comedians was, and I think still is, important. The Oscars often ignore comedies. I mean, real comedies. You know, they do some droll stuff. They throw a few Oscar nominations at Licorice Pizza. But real kind of bawdy, crazy comedies just don't get a lot of love. It's one of the reasons why Kevin Klein's win for A Fish Called Wanda, I believe it was 1988 or so, was one of the biggest and best exceptions. So kudos to the Kennedy Center for spearheading the Mark Twain Prize. Good job. The latest winner, though, shows the folly of this particular award, and of course, modern comedy in general. Yes, Jon Stewart accepted the Mark Twain bust a few days ago, and he blathered on about the power of comedy, holding politicians accountable, etc., etc. Lies. Today's comedians are mostly propagandists, pushing the party line, and you know which party. That's clearly the case with Saturday Night Live and Late Night TV, basically the two major institutions for political comedy today. It's sad, it's predictable, sure ain't funny. So hearing Stewart and friends gather to toast comedy, not even mentioning cancel culture in any significant way, kind of made me sick. So I'm glad I'm not based in D.C. anymore and covering that event. I would have had a really hard time not doing a very loud, very eventful harumph during that particular ceremony, especially during Stewart's speech. Now, you can trace a lot of this back to Donald Trump. When he rose to power, comedy changed, especially political comedy. It got worse, safer, more predictable. And now with cancel culture breathing down every comedian's back, it's getting even worse than that. So spare me the Mark Twain prize. And honorees like Jon Stewart, who think they still speak truth to power. They don't. And Mark Twain himself would admit just that if he were around today.
0: Don't touch that dial. You're listening to Right on Hollywood. What's the dial?
1: Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital.
2: This week's Toto's take is Get Him to the Greek. Like I said before, I kind of miss comedy. And I remember loving the 2008 film Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Super funny stuff. But I think I only liked the sequel, which was a pretty smart way to kind of extend the story. And it was called What Else? Get Him to the Greek. Now, either that film got better over the years or I'm so starved for big screen laughs, I graded it on a scale given modern times. Now Jonah Hill, who's terrific here, plays a music executive. He's got a very simple assignment. Get a fading and famous rock star to, where else? The Greek theater for a big concert. Sounds pretty simple, but not with Aldous Snow, played, of course, by Russell Brand. He's a sex and drug addict who doesn't want to do anything that he's supposed to do. Doesn't want to show up on time. Doesn't want to follow the rules. Doesn't even know if he wants to do the concert in question, which means Hill's character has to do everything possible to keep him on track for the big night. It's funny, it's smart, it's often naughty, silly at times too, but the story itself is really solid. There's an underpinning here that kind of holds all the gags together. You need that in a comedy like this. Plus, Brand is so perfect for this role. You know, it's really a really shame that his, uh, his movie career faded as quickly as it did. That Arthur reboot was a disastrous idea. Just not good, not funny, not well not well put together. But I think this, in the right character, in the right situation, he is extremely funny. And that's exactly what we've got right here. Now, one of the things I liked about the movie is got it's got a big heart, and a lot of these bro movies have that. They seem outrageous and sex-filled and, and chock-full of outraged moments, but it really is about something simple, in this case, love. And it's woven beautifully into the, the rock star satire. Now, this isn't as good as this is Spinal Tap, which will remain the, the, the epicenter of all things uh, satirical when it comes to music, but It's pretty funny, too. Now, Get Him to the Greek makes more sense if you've seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall. It's where you first meet Aldous Snow's character. But if you haven't seen it, it's okay. You don't need to. You can go into this one cold. It's perfectly fine. I think having seen Marshall just makes it a little bit richer, a little bit better. Now, this particular comedy, Get Him to the Greek, is on Hulu right now. And if you miss big laughs at the theater, like I do, give it a try. Imagine a version of Saturday Night Live that didn't lean aggressively, almost comically, to the left. Well, Michael Loftus and Paul Crosetti did just that. They created That Show Tonight. It's a sketch comedy troupe that targets AOC, President Biden, and more figures on the left. And, of course, it's about time. How about some balance, folks, right? Well, The Sketch Show offers live performances, which are later shared online via thatshowtonight.com. And the next live performance is April 30th, just around the corner, on Long Island, my old stomping grounds. That's where I grew up. Go to theamericafirstwarehouse.com for all the details and ticket information. Now, that show tonight is a natural fit for Loftus. He's a veteran comedian. He's written for sitcoms. He's obviously been on stand-up stages for decades. He's a podcaster. This is right in his sweet spot. But that's not the case for Cressetti. He wasn't even in Hollywood at all before this entire venture began. So how did Paul get here and why? Well, the answers are all here in my chat with Paul Crissetti. Paul, welcome to the show. Now, I understand you were not a show business person until recently, and then you had a, a long career, journalism, working in the insurance industry, and then, of course, now you're directly connected to that show tonight. Fill in some blanks. How did, how did that happen? Because that is not a that is not a traditional business uh, trajectory. But obviously, you made it happen. Give us the why.
3: Yeah, I appreciate it, Kristen. Um, well, we've, I've always considered myself a fan of comedy and entertainment, and uh, I grew up back when Saturday Night Live was just getting started. So, a buddy of mine. And I had talked about, remember how Saturday Night Live was so funny and it was on a Saturday night, whatever we were doing, we stopped, we all <laughs> yeah. met at a buddy's house and we had to watch Saturday Night Live, right? And um, so all throughout my, my professional career, um, you know, we would, we would talk about how, how disappointing it was of what Saturday Night, Saturday night Live had turned into um especially over the last few years right i think it, you know not just down on the line but when when the trump derangement syndrome took effect mm. it felt like it really impacted comedy and it, it just seems to get be getting worse so i was at the end of my uh, career uh in the insurance industry and uh And was talking and we got connected with Michael Loftus, Mm -hmm. right, who is um, the creator and the co-founder. And this was something he had envisioned for a long time. So we just started meeting together, you know, once a week talking about how we would do it. And, you know, I I just I took the plunge, right, Mm -hmm. and took uh, early retirement and said, yeah, I want to focus on putting, you know, really put my energy and efforts towards making the show, making the show happen.
2: Now, just before we get into the show itself, you're a journalist. I, I call you a recovering journalist. Does that background help you when you're doing a show like this? I I, I think it might, but you tell me what's, what's been that perspective going into it.
3: Absolutely. Right. So, um, you know, writing is critical. And I'd say those writing skills, no matter what profession you're in, are extremely helpful, right? And the ability to communicate, and so you know, I'm—I consider myself a closet uh, writer on the show too. And uh, you know, Michael has a group of folks that he's worked with throughout his career, but uh, he's always open to contributions. So it's definitely helped in just in producing the show. And then, of course, we're in the business right now of because we're brand new, promoting the show and describing what we're trying to accomplish, why we're doing it, and so those journalistic skills definitely coming in here.
2: Yeah, and by the way, modern journalism is often funny how biased it is. So maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a direct <laughs> correlation true. there. You know, I I think people who are involved with certain areas are, are the best sellers of it, the best way to describe it. So, let's give you I want to get I want to hear your elevator pitch for, "Hey, I just worked on a show called that show tonight. It is blank. How would you how would you boil that down in, in your sort of most passionate way?
3: Yeah. So, our tagline is think Saturday Night Live, but for conservatives mm-hmm. or sketch comedy for the rest of America. Right. So, um, you know, like I said, I think the last several years too, po- political satire has been around for centuries. Right. And I would consider it to be a really growing genre over the last, you know, several years. And again, I think, you know, Trump. The Trump uh, phenomenon was uh, a big trigger to that, mm-hmm. and but it's all one-sided, right? It's like one side of the aisle is off limits. And so our goal is we, we say, hey, we'll make fun of everyone, including the left, mm-hmm. especially the left, right? Because there's so much material that they provide for us that we can use in the
2: comedy. Gotcha. You know, sometimes uh, actors, writers, people behind the scenes, uh, they, they'd want to be in, involved with something like this, but they're afraid for a lot of different reasons. We've talked about it on this show, and I've talked about it elsewhere. Is that what you're finding, that people are saying, hey, I, I wouldn't mind doing a show like this, and yes, I'm going to kind of maybe put my neck out a little bit and say, yes, I am associated with that show tonight?
3: You know that's the exciting thing about it, Christian, is that uh, well, obviously Michael Loftus, who's you know our our executive director, producer, right? That's kind of the the brains behind the show. He he's just come out and uh, decided, you know, given his career, he's going to focus on on conservative humor, and um, but it, along the way, we've um, attracted or connected with Jim Brewer, mm-hmm. who hosted our last show. And to see him get involved, he just had a blast, right? And I think it was, in in some ways, liberating that he could actually do stuff that he's always wanted to do, that maybe in, in you know, mainstream Hollywood, he, he'd feel like he w- wouldn't be able to do it. Um, Nick Searcy is another, um, Person that's involved in our project, and you know, Nick basically told us that uh, he's done. He almost considers himself retired, although he's working on some some great projects. But uh, you know, he he told us when we first reached out to him that you know, every every opportunity I get pitched, the first thing they want to ask is, "Are you vaxxed?" Right? So he says, "I'm done. I can devote as much time and effort and energy as um, as I want." So. As 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 we see it, the more people get involved and they're surviving and actually thriving uh, in this format, we think it'll attract more people that are waiting on the sideline to saying, you know what, I'm ready to jump in as well.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. It's something I've been hammering home on this show for weeks now. I love interviewing personalities actors comedians who have blazed their own trail have defied the odds and are thriving as a result you really need to send that message share that message as much as possible because I think it does embolden people to do what they want to do and be who they want to be and I I, I, that's essential and the more people you know embrace that philosophy the the more chances we have of kind of breaking down the existing barriers. Uh, have you now? You're new to Hollywood here. This is you know you've had a different career. Are you mm-hmm. hearing stories of actors and people behind the scenes who maybe shared how they were cowed into silence or they knew to be silent? Have you had any stories like that so far? Uh,
3: yes, I, and it's unfortunate, right? So you know, Michael obviously obviously talks about. You know some of his experiences. Um, when Jim was with us the last week in March for his show, he shared some of the experiences, and uh, yeah, it's 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 amazing. And you know the work you're doing, Christian, is is great, right? Because
2: uh, I agree. You know, I'm just
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I think, you know, I think you and what we're trying to do is what we you know is trying to create a safe haven mm-hmm. where people can come out and feel free to express or participate without ramifications.
2: Yeah. And I, I would bet, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that if someone on your cast and crew, maybe they were left of center. I don't think anyone on your cast and crew would blink an eye. It was like, okay, let's on to the next sketch. You know, that's it's sort of, you know, you don't want to repeat the mistakes of what people are doing to you guys and gals.
3: As, yeah, absolutely. And in, like like we said, we we consider ourselves an equal maker, funner, rubber, right? <laughs> so, um, we we see a huge opportunity in poking fun at the left yeah. and uh, you know cancel culture and all the woke absurdity that's out there. But you know we've done we've done a sketch, we've done a, a sketch on uh, what we consider rhinos, right? <laughs> um, on there. So again, you know we we want to make sure that. The content we deliver is funny, funny first, right? But we definitely understand there's a market out there that's um, untapped without a product, so to speak. And we see ourselves being able to fill that niche.
2: Yeah, look at late night TV with Gutfeld. I mean, just a huge success. And Hollywood didn't want to do it, still doesn't want to do it. So it's really interesting. Now, I've written at HollywoodIntoto.com about your show, your TikTok account being banned. And uh, if you haven't read that story, go back and read it because it is important to get the full context. But, you know, when you have a right of center show like yours, you're not going to get Variety, the Hollywood Reporter, People Magazine. All these different outlets will not really report on you, not share what you're doing, not discuss it or uh, let people know. And so you need to Mm -hmm. go to turn to social media to spread the word. I would imagine it's devastating to lose something like TikTok. Give us a little background on your, you know, how you're spreading the word and why that's important, or at least it's impactful on your efforts.
3: Uh, You know, absolutely. So we obviously see social media as a major vehicle, right, to to promote the show, you know, for all the reasons you listed, right? Um, So, yeah, TikTok, that was what was interesting is we learned early on. As we were promoting show or the show and clips from the show, in um, doing memes or sharing memes on there that um, the vax making fun of the vax or making fun of mask right was taboo. Right, we would get responses or we would get you know from the different social media pa- platforms, and it was under the guise of "Hey, that's misinformation." it's potentially harmful for the, you know, to the public. And obviously we didn't agree with it. It's still censorship, but you can kind of understand, right, where they're coming from. And then and recently it's just it's just getting worse and worse, right? You know, our, our content is not inappropriate, right? But, you know, if if we're seen as making fun of the government or making fun of certain politicians on one side of the aisle, right? That's considered off limits. And it's kind of scary. Um, and it it is, you know, TikTok, TikTok was probably the platform where we were getting the most traction. Mm-hmm. We would um, we were get we had some videos out there that were well in the hundreds of thousands of views, and we would get great comments. And and a lot of the comments came, hey, this is so needed, right? This is mm-hmm. you know, and just very complimentary. So when out of the blue, they permanently banned us was the message we received. It was was really surprising.
2: And, you know, I want to, this is something I may have mentioned before, I don't know, here or certainly elsewhere on, on my site. It's really important to know that when they do this censorship, when they do this banning, what they very often do along the way is not specifically say what you did wrong where you went to foul because they want you to self-censor they want you to be so afraid of what you might say that you ban a lot of different thoughts not just even specific thoughts and it's something that they've done in, in more uh, uh, the totalitarian nations where they want you to be fearful of a lot of different things Now, if they said you can't do X, Y, and Z you may disagree but at least you can kind of move forward and avoid those topics if you want to stay on the platform but they don't do that often It's it's I find that one of the more terrifying things uh, looking ahead you mentioned Jim Brewer as being part of the show are there other comedians you've lined up or maybe even uh, guests you can teach in in the next few weeks or months?
3: Yes. uh, So we've signed on. We're excited. Christy Swanson, Mm -hmm. who was Buffy the Vampire Slayer. uh, She's going to be a host on an upcoming show. I mentioned Nick Searcy. We'll have Nick as a host. We plan to have him. Uh, Terrence K. Williams Mm -hmm. has agreed um, to be a host. So, yeah, we've got um, a, a bench of very well known comedians that were really excited to showcase on the show.
2: Excellent. And before we let you go, Paul, I think there's something important here that we're maybe not directly addressing. So I wanna I wanna target it right now. Yeah. Humor matters and there's a reason why the mainstream comedy landscape is it behaves the way it does and avoids certain topics and drills down in other topics. Because those comedians think to their core that what they're doing is helpful to society. Now, we may agree or disagree, obviously. But uh, any any thoughts there? Why why all the fuss about comedy? I, why are we kind of getting so uh, uh, enthusiastic or passionate or concerned or afraid or, gosh, this, this joke needs to be banned? I mean, it, it's not the world I grew up in. I grew up in the 80s, and that was certainly a, a far cry from what we're having today. But w- w- what's your take on it, having kind of dived like, into this material right now?
3: yeah christian i i'd have two thoughts on that first there's a lot of studies out there you know you read that a comedy is a very effective learning mechanism mm-hmm. right that people retain the message or um what they've learned what what's being taught uh i think multiple times more than if it's just delivered right in a traditional method so comedy as an a, an educating Uh, mechanism or tool is very effective right and you kind of see that when the late night shows went so far to the left and became so political it's almost like you know a light went on where they said yeah this is a this is a a format where we can really drive Mm -hmm. our agenda yeah and and then the other thing is you know andrew breitbart Famously said that politics is downstream from pop culture. And so when we look at what we're doing, you know, the left has dominated pop culture for generations now, and it shapes the way America votes and thinks, right? And uh, it's it's so true. And that's why we, we believe what we're doing it, is so critical.
2: I worked with Andrew Breitbart for a few months at Breitbart News, and uh, I'm glad hmm. that people, uh, you certainly are included in that group, are acknowledging what he said and what he warned. But I, I wish collectively had done so sooner. I think we maybe have been in a different uh, situation right now. But uh, yeah. you're doing it. You took time out. You changed your careers to make this show possible. Of course, That Show Tonight is out and about, as they say. And you can um, find it in multiple platforms. And uh, new shows coming soon. Uh, you can go to uh, is it thatshowtonight.com? Is that the best place to find all, all things about the program?
3: Yeah, that's, that's where we live stream the uh, mm-hmm. shows. So it's thatshowtonight.com. And uh, we encourage people to subscribe. We've got a ton of our videos and contents. we got prior shows loaded on there. And then our next show is scheduled for April 30th. Um, we're excited about that. And it's just $5 a month or $50 a year to get access to all the content on the website and uh, access to the shows The yep. shows live.
2: And you're supporting this project and you're saying, hey, I'm going to make sure that this is a viable (laughs) enterprise and that's important as well. Thank you, Paul, for joining Right on Hollywood. And let's hope that show tonight keeps telling the jokes we're not allowed to tell because we should be allowed to tell them all. Thanks.
3: Thank you very much, Christian.
0: CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive. And start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. And the best part, you can try it yourself with their seven day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv TV slash PopPods. That's P-H-I-L-O TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get fifty percent off your first month.
2: Can one documentary change the culture? An inconvenient truth sure did. I don't care where you stand on global warming at this point, then or now. Al Gore did it. He crashed the culture. He made us all talk about this. We all had to consider it, argue with it, argue against it, you name it. We engage with it. It changed the culture. He did it. Now, I think if enough people see this film, whose children are they, it could have a similar effect. The new documentary is available right now on SalemNow.com. You can stream it there. And it kind of categorizes the precipitous fall public education in the modern space. Think CRT training, sex education for kids who are way too young for that kind of material, and of course the corrupting influence of teachers' unions. What the teachers' unions did with COVID-19 and our poor kids, I will never forgive, I will never forget, and neither should anyone else. It's all here in this film, and it's all shocking to the core. Deborah Flora produced Whose Children Are They? She has deep Hollywood ties, but she's also a parent, who's been horrified by what their children are experiencing in the modern-day classroom. Now, I highly recommend you see whose children are they. It's an important watch, and tell a friend, if not two or three, trust me. But it's even more important for parents to take action once those end credits roll. Without that, nothing changes. Deborah Florida explains exactly why that's the case, and you'll want to hear every word in this conversation. Deborah, welcome to the show. Now, before we get into your movie, I want to find out just a little bit about you, your background. You've got some show business chops, some radio work, obviously. So just give listeners a a sense of what you've been doing up until now, and then we'll kind of look into how that maybe fueled this this project.
1: You got it. Absolutely. So um, for anyone listening in in Colorado, I grew up there. I always like to make that clear before I let people know that I did spend some time in Hollywood because- (laughs) You're forgiven. Oftentimes- There you go. Thank you. I've been absolved. Um, But I did have uh, what I would call temporary insanity for a little while where I was actually an actress in Hollywood. And I uh, call myself a recovered actress in my left brain, my right mind. But it quickly became clear to me I cared a lot more about what was in the film than just my small part in it. So I started to work in development. I worked with um, as a development executive with a couple of companies who had, you know, Emmys and Golden Globes and Etc. And then when my husband Jonathan and I met, we started our own company. Jonathan was a producer, w- supervising producer with Walt Disney Studios Home Entertainment, and then we started our own company, Lamplight Entertainment, and have produced, you know, a, a documentary with Lieutenant Dan. Gary Sinise called Lieutenant Dan: Band for the Common Good, and produced other projects as well, and have some other films in development, but. Um, All of that has been fueled by the fact that we so believe in the power of media. Um, A friend of ours in Hollywood was Andrew Breitbart, and he always said that politics is downstream of culture, which is true. It's a a variation on something that Plato even said. Um, And we do believe that that is where we need to capture people's minds, hearts, and imaginations and do it excellently so we can kind of reclaim the craft that is sometimes being used in the wrong way.
2: So given all of that, and your, your background is just perfect for this particular project, but it also tells you this is really hard. It's hard getting distribution. It's mm-hmm. hard getting things pulled together. It's hard getting the, the the resources together. Did any of that stop you for a moment, or was it full steam ahead once you realized the, how important this particular film was?
1: You know, great question. And yes, I mean, my hat is off to anybody who makes a movie because it, it takes so many pieces, and you know that, you know, Christian. But this is one project, like uh, like another one that we did as well that exposed late term abortion. It's these were projects that were we would not be able to rest until we made them. So a little bit of my other background that led to whose children are they, the documentary we're talking about is I also founded Parents United in America about three and a half years ago when I realized this full onslaught on parental rights. And it's not just in education, although that is where it is most prevalent. It's in medical decisions and it's in many different areas. And when I, you know, was one of hundreds of parents that testified against the comprehensive sex ed bill that they shoved through the last day of the Colorado legislature just ignoring us. And then I helped write a um, sex ed transparency legislation. They sent it to the kill committee. I realized that what we really needed to do was to drag all of this into the light. Because Christian, you look in history at movements, the vast majority of them don't really achieve change. They kind of get to a certain point and then they just taper off. Others who achieve real change, such as the civil rights movement, get to a point where it peaks beyond that and and it gets to that point where it is the tipping point and real change happens in our society. What we wanted to make sure is that this uprising of parents who are now awake about what's going on in their kids' schools and grandparents and concerned citizens, we wanted to make sure that this movement didn't just taper off. And the way to do that is to drag everything into the light so it's not just disconnected uh, you know, episodes that people read a, a news story here, a new story there. We wanted to put it together in a comprehensive expose, connect the dots, and help lead this movement to be to that tipping point where real change happens. So we were going to make it no matter what, but we've been very fortunate in having very good distribution for it as well.
2: It's an interesting description because it actually sums up a little bit of the work I did with my book, Virtue Bombs, because it wasn't just that story or this anecdote or that crazy moment in culture. Once you tie these all together, it really does Mm -hmm. paint a profound picture. And your movie does that. I I think my only flaw of the movie is that it was almost too grueling. It was just, it was like body blow after body blow of all these educational (laughs) stories, but it needed to be told. It needed to be shared and it needed to be put in one package. Now, when one of the problems we're facing here is that there are a small number of very brave people who are speaking out, who are putting their names to the movement. But that's not easy, and you and I both know there are consequences to that. Did you find it hard to find people to go to have their faces on camera, to have their stories being told? Were they afraid, or did they say, ah, I, "This is time; we got to speak up"?
1: Yeah, you know, great questions. And one thing I would say, by the way, of the you know the body blows, what we what we needed to do was to show people. That it's not just CRT, it's not just sex education, it's not just gender fluidity, it's not just getting rid of Title IX, it's not just anti discipline. That they're all connected, and so it it is. You know, uh, it was a challenge to do that. And boy, there's so much more we could have put in there. But in each pod, we we're like, how do we make this palatable and not paralyze the audience, and then lead to the end, which is this reality showing that everyone is really waking up, and there's so much we can do about it. So what actually was interesting is is when i first started parents united america a few years ago uh it would have been hard to find people because at that time not everybody was awake not everyone was aware but since covid and really the mask came off people saw you know parents that were home with their kids and saw what was being taught and you know when you got when you got a school district in tennessee that wants parents to sign a waiver to not pay attention to what their kids are being taught you know something mm-hmm. is up and it was drug into the light we actually didn't have any problem finding people which was amazing there were we did over 120 hours of footage over 80 interviews all across the country and the most bullied group, which are teachers, good teachers who want to speak out but are intimidated by the teachers' unions who do not have their best interest at heart. And let's just be really clear, by the way, this this movie is pro teacher. It's just not pro teachers' union because they don't represent teachers. Uh, we would have thought that they would have been the hardest ones to find, but we partner with Rebecca Friedrichs, who is the uh, the California teacher, former California teacher, who brought her case to the Supreme Court to end forced unionization with her help, we found a lot of brave teachers that were willing to speak out, tons of parents that wanted to speak out. In fact, we couldn't tell everybody's stories, frontline experts, and then students. And probably students would be the hardest group, first of all, because we'd never want to exploit young children in this in any way, shape, or form, because that's what the other side does. But even there, we had students who were wanting to speak out about how damaging the shutdown was or how divisive CRT is. So, we actually had the opposite issue. We had more people than we could possibly interview without making this a 25-part miniseries. <laughs> so people are awake, and they're yeah. standing up now.
2: That, that, that's great to hear. By the way, I thought of something pithy to kinda, that kind of summarizes what's going on. The mask came out. Or the mask fell when the masks yes. were on. I mean, it's, sort of, it's it's ironic of all the ironies. But uh, no, you went into yes. the film with an agenda. You, you're, you, there's no bones about that. You, you saw a problem. You wanted to tackle the problem. You wanted to illustrate it. How did you emerge Mm -hmm. once you do all these interviews, once you cobble this together, once you get the experts to weigh in, once you hear story after story? Do you uh, do you come out of this more depressed, more energized, more frightened? Imagine it's such a personal thing for you. How did you kind of come out of this project?
1: Yeah, no, a great question. First of all, you know, I'm a mom, so I was motivated and helped flip our school board. And I'm just one of those moms who got my dander up and my testimony went viral, you know, on, you know, Ben Shapiro reposted it and and it went everywhere. And I was on a lot of national media. So it's personal from that standpoint. Um, And it is also something that while we went into it with uh, definitely a clear understanding of what needed to be exposed, which is the the uh, I, the crossroads that we're at in this country right now, which really is a Marxist view of whether or not the children belong to the state, that's where the title comes from, whose children are they, or the Judeo-Christian uh, founding American principle and really Western civilization principle that it is the right authority of parents to have the ultimate say. What's interesting is I don't actually find that to be a side or an agenda. In fact, we very carefully avoid politicizing or making this an overtly religious film. I mean, this is, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you're a mom and a dad first. No matter what faith background you have, you intrinsically know in your gut that you know your child better than a bureaucracy. So while we very clearly wanted to expose what the teachers' union's part is in this, it's really a film that's for everybody, I believe, who has common sense and who understands how fundamentally wrong this is. But how did we come out of it? burdened, certainly filming and filming 120 hours of footage and hearing story after story after story, but then also energized, because I truly believe what we're seeing, this renaissance of the American citizen that's taking place at the school boards and beyond, I think it's going to be the saving grace, not just for our kids, not just for our school system, but for our very country, because people who were never involved in anything before are now engaged like they never have been before. So that is the note that we end with. And that is the takeaway that I have personally from it, is that there are far more of us that now are engaged and share the same viewpoint than those who don't.
2: In Hollywood right now, the uh, the shared universe is the coin of the realm, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and all these different stories. They're interconnected, they expand, there's prequels, there's remakes. Your story on the surface doesn't fit any of that, and yet, In a way, social media, YouTube, different channels uh, across the digital landscape can extend this story. Whose children are they? Is, Is that happening right now in some capacity?
1: Oh, without a doubt. I mean, they, so much has changed. I mean, even when we made um, the our documentary with Gary Sinise and traveled, and it was a lot about 9/11. It was, uh, you know, going abroad to Iraq and forward operating bases all over the place. The world has changed even since then. So, so with that, uh, that was a number in documentary on the Documentary Channel for a long time, and then finally the Documentary Channel just went away. So while other you know avenues have ended. What is going on is amazing. So we started with the and, and the the documentary Whose Children Are They? We do ask people to go to whoschildrenarethey.com so they can find out where they can see it. We did the Fathom event. It was in over 760 theaters nationwide on March 14th. Since then, by the way, Christian, just from word of mouth, another 600 some screenings were, were booked through Fathom of word of mouth, which is exactly what we had hoped. Now it's available on Salem now. And then it will be going to, you know, subscription services and DVDs and all of that. But what is wonderful is it is the word of mouth that's spreading this. And now with social media, with, you know, the ability for online, all of those elements, distribution and the shared um marketing that comes from the viewers themselves who really are going to be the, the biggest proponents of this movie, we think it's going to have a very, very long life. We've got people from the very first moment, they're like, how do I get a DVD? I want to hand it to everybody, one of my neighbors, next time we're facing something and we're like, hang on, it's all coming. But it's really wonderful because a lot of times documentaries just, you know, get lost we've had uh, an opportunity to really have an incredibly broad reach and it's just growing. And that's been very gratifying because honestly, you don't make a documentary to become (laughs) rich and famous in any, way. certainly not to be at the Academy Awards as you and I know you do it because you believe so strongly in something you want to give a tool to those who will actually go out and do the real work. This issue in our schools and in our country, it's got to be a grassroots based issue movement. And it has to be in the hands of those who are closest to the problem from right in their own homes with their children to their local school districts and beyond. And so it's been gratifying because of that.
2: Yeah. And I think just to circle back on one thing you mentioned earlier, you can look at this and and glibly say, oh, it's a right-leaning or a conservative movie. But I think at the end of the day, no matter what you think about the trans movement, I, I have a lot of compassion for that community. But at the same time, I know mm-hmm. I've, I, my kids are 11 and 13. I've watched them grow up. When when my boys were five, six, seven, I they were not ready to even process that information. They just weren't ready. It wasn't appropriate. Yes. They weren't thinking about sex or sexuality or anything along those lines. They're not ready yet. And while they were, I am teaching them about compassion and empathy for everyone, that is not the right time. Yes. The fact that they're forcing that to be the right time, uh, quit scare quotes, is a problem. Uh, before we let you go, Deborah, you know, this is a – a topic that draws a lot of passion, and you've got all of it on, on uh, from your perspective. But obviously, the people who are pushing these movements, these activities, these lessons, uh, they have they have a say. They are doing things <laughs> the way they see fit. Ha- have there been any attacks on the film? And I, I don't even mean you know. Listen, you can critique any movie. It, it, everything is fair game. They could disagree with what you're sharing yes. on the screen. That's perfectly fine. Never want to kind of uh, stop that from happening. But has there anything been above and beyond that as of yet?
1: Well, it's a great question. And and two things I want to say real quickly is, um, I do believe this is a movie that the vast majority of Americans will agree with because we didn't even uh, talk about transgenderism as weighing its merits, not merits, its veracity or not. This is simply about whether it is appropriate for young children. Same thing with CRT, we're all for the real teaching of history not something based on the 1619 project that it's, it's very writers admitted was not history, or sex education, whichever base for reproductive biology. So many of the arguments against this documentary or those who are standing against an extreme indoctrination, they straw man arguments that are not based on any truth. But um, as far as pushback, part of my job as the producer, one of the producers, was to lock everything down legally. There is so much more that we could have put in this Christian, but we made sure that every single thing that we showed in this documentary was beyond the ability to um, to litigate on. It is locked down. It is real. There's many things that are also true that we couldn't put in it just because we, we wanted to make sure that there was no ability to attack because too often people who are passionate, they just go off and they talk about anything. If there is one thing that isn't true, it invalidates the entire argument. Everything in our documentary has been triple checked, has been legally backed up. So the only uh, piece that finally came out criticizing the documentary was from the teachers unions did not deny one single fact (laughs) in the documentary. All they said was that, you know, we had anti-communist hysteria because we point out that the roots of the father of modern education, John Dewey, he loved, he was a communist. He was the first honorary president of the teacher's unions. But what I love most of all, you know, Christian, if someone's defending themselves, they're losing. The entire article was them defending themselves and there's not been one attack otherwise, because it's true. It's all backed up. It's all verifiable. And it's all um, it's all provable. So that that's the best thing that we could do is is make sure we did the hard work. So the argument is not minimized, and people can know that there's truth in this. And and that's why we ask people to go to Whose Children Are They Yeah,
2: and I think your background really paid off here because you weren't just a, a newcomer led by passion and 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 activism. You had the experience to understand mm-hmm. what what was up, what you were up against, and what forces were going to line yes. up to attack it. And you uh, you know. Did all the necessary legwork to make sure that wasn't going to happen—at least not in the way it was. But uh... well, Deborah, thank you for joining right on Hollywood. Of course, the new movie is "Whose Children Are They." Not whose dogs are they. Whose children are they? And, of course, if enough people say this, <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. I've got a doggy, too. Uh, I think it could change the culture. I think it's that important. I think it's that well put together. And uh, I, I don't say that loosely. I think a lot of documentaries come and go, like you mentioned. Some have the best of intentions. They just don't get that traction. I suspect that is not happening at all. Now, people can see this at SalemNow.com. That's a great place to check it out and also go to whosechildrenarethey.com for all the latest information on the film and ways you can be more active because if you're not more active, this doesn't stop. It just gets worse. Congratulations, Deborah, and thanks for your time.
1: Thank you so much, Christian. I really, really appreciate it. I do ask people to go to whosechildrenarethey.com and share with those who maybe their eyes aren't open yet. We can make a difference. And thank you so much, Christian, for your time and for drawing attention to it.
2: Thank you for listening to Right on Hollywood, part of the Just the News podcasting family. I am bouncing back from surgery. I'm feeling a little bit better. So if the pipes sound a little wobbly this week, that's why I apologize. You know, I I knew I would be limping around after surgery. I had some hernia work done. But I didn't realize it would actually impact my voice for a few days, which it has. But uh, you live, you learn, you go from there. Before I go, though, I want to mention that I didn't want to dig into the Elon Musk Twitter purchase situation right away. It just happened. The ink is probably still wet. Maybe next week, maybe the week after. But just know, free speech had a big win this week. And the best may be yet to come. Fingers crossed. Toes to. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Right on Hollywood podcast, part of the Just the News Network. We'd love to hear from you about the show. You can email christian at hollywoodintoto.com. And please don't forget to rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. Five-star reviews make our day. But just speak from the heart. Free speech matters more than ever.
3: Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time?